welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Kaylee Barber, media editor at Digiday. And I'm Tim Peterson, senior media editor at Digiday. All right, Tim, so you had the interview this week, and you spoke with David Temkin, who is the senior director of product management, ad privacy, and user trust at Google. So I guess the first big question I have to ask, is the deadline for third-party cookies getting removed from Chrome changing at all, or is it definitely what they say it is? Yeah, yeah, that was my first question for David, too. And he, he says they're sticking with the deadline. Got it. All right. Good to know. Um, I guess the other big question that, I mean, Google kind of goes back and forth. They change their strategies for cookie replacements, um, you know, every few months, it seems. But I'm, I'm curious, do they does David get into uh, any of their, you know, current strategies for third party cookie replacement that they're really like hedging their bets on? Yeah, we go pretty in the weeds um, because, like you mentioned, so they have the privacy sandbox for Chrome, but then they also have the privacy sandbox for Android now. And the privacy sandbox is kind of their umbrella term for all the different products they're putting together um, as basically third-party cookie replacements. Um, and so we talk about you know what happened with Flock or Federated Learning of Cohorts last year, which was their initial um, you know proposal for replacing the third-party cookie from a targeting perspective that got pretty quickly batted down by um, privacy advocates and, mm-hmm. and researchers who realized, oh, actually, this isn't as privacy safe um, as uh, it was you know supposed to be designed to be. And so now they have, you know, topics and they also have Fledge. Um, and uh, so we talk about just, you know, what exactly Google is doing to try to make sure that these products don't have similar loopholes where as much as they may be designed to be more privacy safe, that they can be exploited um, and not be as privacy safe. So we talk about all of that, you know, to what extent um, they're in the stages of, you know, testing those and whether they've learned anything, you know, thus far that'll inform um, future development of these products is there's now, you know, about a almost a year and a half to go um, before the deadline officially hits. Got it. All right. Well, I will let you get into it, David. I am very curious to hear how this interview goes. Thanks, Caleb. David Tumpkin, welcome to the Digiday Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. David, let's get right into it with the big question. So Google plans to disable third-party cookies in Chrome by the end of 2023. Is that still the timeline? It absolutely is. What's the probability of that timeline changing? Uh, I think we've got a pretty good line of sight to the endpoint. I think we've got a good plan to get there. And I think you know we're making rapid progress. All that being said, of course, it's software development. You know what that means. But there's a lot of time in there. We've got time for iteration. We've got time for testing. It's uh, We expanded the time frame to facilitate that, by the way. And I think like what I'm kind of getting at with those questions is there's some mistrust, skepticism in the industry among companies on the buy side, companies on the sell side of just, well, the deadline changed once, it could change again. How will we know like whether that's going to be the case? How will we know to what extent we can be dependent on that? I'm sure you you get this type of feedback. What's been the type of communication that Google's having with the industry, both advertisers as well as publishers? Because it feels like with last year, the extension that communication wasn't there ahead of time. I'm sure there are, you know, some sensitivities internally that would explain that. But I would imagine 
Well, I, I wonder if like there's anything that Google is doing to be more communicative or to pledge to be more communicative in case there would be any changes for any reason because the past two years have shown that everything can change in the world overnight. Right. I mean, that's a great question. So, uh, you know, the reason for the extension was we learned certain things at the outset here. Like if you saw um, our, by the way, when I'm saying R, I mean, Google broadly, but specifically these are Chrome's initiatives. Chrome, the browser is driving this. Um, we are, you know, obviously an important partner, but a lot of other companies are too. Um, you know, the reason for this is when we first announced Flock and put that out there, we learned a ton about that and got a lot of feedback saying, well, we're concerned about X and we're concerned about Y and what about this and what about the other thing? And it became pretty apparent that Flock was going to have to change significantly in order to get the acceptance that um, it needed. And that took a certain amount of time. And I think we can expect, browser development is pretty interesting. It occurs in public. It's not like a typical um, commercial software development project where you're doing it behind closed doors and then it just emerges. Hey, here it is, you know, packaged with a bow. Um, browsers work differently. It's a collaborative development process. It's done in the open. It's almost like development in a fishbowl. You can see it on GitHub and it's just a continuous patter and a continuous set of, uh, you know, modifications and incremental changes. That's going to continue. Um, the Chrome team is going to get a lot of input from us, but also from the rest of ad tech. And there are, you know, regulatory pieces in, in here. Like there's a British competition market authority that, you know, we've made certain commitments to, which are really meant to facilitate when this thing goes live, we want it to work for industry. That's what they're looking for. And I think one thing, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the CMA has said like they need to have like some assurance or some handle of like three months before the deadline would actually happen in terms of what the alternative is and how it works and what effects it would have competition wise. Is that right? That's correct. I mean, and they're looking for kind of testing results all along the way. And there's another commitment where they're monitoring, um, you know, how we're doing this internally and, and that kind of thing, all of which could in some sequence of events lead to, well, it needs to push out farther, but there's nothing in line of sight that looks like that right now. Got it. And you mentioned, you know, the Chrome team is, you know, doing this in a fishbowl, as you put it, which is a fun analogy. What about the privacy sandbox work? Because, I mean, that's not browser work, although I think there is, I don't know to what extent there's ambition for like the privacy sandbox work or the specific um, proposals within privacy sandbox to become W3C standards, but I know like Google Topics, you know, for example, is one of the APIs part of Privacy Sandbox. That's on GitHub, but I, you know, just checked today and a lot of that hasn't been updated in a couple months. Yeah. This is, you know, we do hope that this becomes adopted industry-wide. And, you know, that might, there's two separate steps to that. Do, do other browsers just kind of take it in? Because they could. Um, Chrome Brace uh, Chrome-based browsers, and there are many of them now, could simply adopt it. But ideally, this does become W3C, um, and that you know that would ensure interoperability across the board. So that is the intent. It's part of the browser. It's part of the browser code base. Okay, and so with that, like, what's then the involvement of members of the W3C, the you know various working groups in Privacy Sandbox's development at that point? Because that was a big point of contention. 
early on in the you know history of privacy sandboxes, to what extent is Google actually opening up the development to outside parties? Yeah, the development is visible to outside parties. They are participating in it. We are getting feedback. Um, people have put in, you know, what I would say right now is that we have, even on something like topics, it should be considered a proposal. It is not a done product, right? So proposals go out there, they get discussed, they get modified, iterated, and so on. And then finally, they are, they become real. And ultimately, they do ship in a production browser. And that can happen prior to industry-wide adoption. I think that, you know, Chrome is in a position where Google collectively, um, it's on us to kind of prove that this stuff works, net-net, right? And that's something we're very committed to it in Google Ads. And hopefully that, you know, once we're seeing actual results, that gives people encouragement and lowers the um, anxiety that we're now seeing around these topics. So Flock was a proposal to kind of provide targeting options post third-party cookie for the industry that went out last year, it was getting tested. Google, you know, said that it performed, I forget the exact stat, but it was like, you know, 95% better, 95% of the way there in terms of conversions compared to the third-party cookie. A lot was made about that. What was the methodology? How did Google prove that out? And, and there was a lot of pushback. And so how has the tack changed with topics? Right. They are intended to both solve the same problem. In both cases, the idea was we, on a privacy basis, because of user concerns, we do not want to track users as they browse a car across the web. In other words, we don't want people on the back end, you know, ad tech or otherwise, to be able to track a user's motion from page to page to page to page. Yet, that information as you browse the web is kind of signaling what your interests are from site to site to site, right? So the logic of both flock and topics, and they work differently, but it's the same. It's kind of like, we would like to provide user interests to people who are serving ads into a given page. And we'd like those interests to be informed by what the user does all across the web, but do it in a way that your browsing history does not leave your browser, right? Your browser already has a browsing history. There's a thing called history within your browser. And obviously people are comfortable with that. That, that kind of thing is the objective here. Make it useful to advertisers so that you have useful advertisements for users, but do it in a way that um, sidesteps the need to do tracking or even the possibility of it. Got it. And that idea of the browser history not leaving the browser then raises the question, well, but if I'm using Chrome and that's Google's browser, does that mean Google still gets that data and still has that data? Is that considered first-party data? And then Google can use that when serving me ads or selling ads on YouTube, Google search, et cetera. How is Chrome data being handled? Right. Um, that's a good question. Chrome data is not part of, we don't use it for targeting. We don't use it for measurement. There is one thing that we do use it for when it comes to ads, which is fraud detection. That's it. So it's not part of, well, we've got better data to target users. It's not, it's not along those lines, but it does help with uh, anti-fraud. There are also things within the privacy sandbox that help with anti-fraud. There's something called Trust Token, one of the peer APIs to topics, Fledge, as an example. You're kind of getting at um, one thing I kind of struggle with with the privacy sandbox is it just it feels like there's a lot of stuff in the sandbox and I kind of get lost in the sand a bit. And so, you know, maybe before we get like 
too much deeper into all things privacy sandbox and privacy in general. What are the most important parts of privacy sandbox for people to be aware of? Because to my mind, it's topics, it's fledge, and then it's the, I forget the name of it, but the attribution tool. Right. In general, the intention of the privacy sandbox is to make it so uh, advertisers can use the current mainline use cases used in online advertising, but do so without tracking. Mainline use cases, targeting, remarketing, measurement, attribution, and anti-fraud. And that is what the Privacy Sandbox is about. There's also a set of kind of parallel efforts that are a little bit outside there, but what they're intended to do is to make it harder and harder to work around this, to make it so, because right now you might have the Privacy Sandbox and third-party cookies are gone, but if you start getting into certain, you know, covert, at-the-edge ways of doing it, you could still track. And Chrome is working to clamp down on the ability to track. As is Apple, it's kind of an industry-wide thing. Right. And one part of that is, um, and I mean, Google already has the policy in place prohibiting fingerprinting. But I know, you know, last year, um, one of our former reporters, Kate Kay, had, had written about how a lot of ad tech executives didn't felt like they didn't have clarity into what exactly Google was defining as fingerprinting and then how that would then apply to them or what specifically they would need to be changing in terms of their practices. What is Google's definition of fingerprinting? Right. So I don't have the text of the policy in front of me and we could follow up on that one. But the intention of it is to make it so there's no covert use of, you know, persistent identifiers. Like people can't really change their IP address. It's not easy to go in like, you know, I can clear cookies if I wanted. I can do a bunch of things around that. Um, IP address, I can go from browser A to browser B to browser C, same IP address, right? So uh, the intention of that policy is to make it so that um, using an IP address, someone who is delivering ads cannot use that information to create these cross-site profiles that in turn can be used to uh, personalize ads in a covert way. Got it. And that would seem to break a lot of connected TV advertising because, I mean, IP okay, address so that, is basically that's a, the You know what, that's a, that's a great point there. What you're looking at in terms of these policies, um, the policies we're talking about apply on the web. And, you know, over a period of time, as you see these kinds of, well, the identity cross-site, cross-app identifiers are going away, you're going to see them broaden. You're exactly right about connected TV. IP is part of the fabric of how that works right now. And these policies, there's effectively like, we're talking about web right now. Okay. And, but to what extent, like, since we're on the subject of CTV, are you looking at doing a similar privacy sandbox for CTV? Because there is Netcatcher that's, you know, part of Google and that would govern the IP address and effectively take IP address off the table. But I don't know to what extent you all have actually enacted that. That is kind of like, how this all works on CTV is sort of, that's right now I would characterize that as being over the horizon. It's consistent that, you know, if you look at the industry trends, it's consistent that at some point in time it would reach CTV. Right now you're looking at, it's for web. We've spoken about that a great deal. We've talked about Chrome. We've also announced that the privacy sandbox is coming to Android in a, you know, a slightly different version, but the intention and the design goals are identical. Got it. And so, I mean, and you would, you know, at some point in time, 
could solutions be delivered on CTV that would deliver the same kind of you know, relevant advertising that you, know, you can see on these other identifier-free platforms? Yes. Right. Yeah. Because I mean, yeah. Privacy Sandbox, I think was like January 2020 or early Q1 2020, Q1 2022, Privacy Sandbox for Android. It seems like Privacy Sandbox for CTV 2024, if we're sticking on schedule. Well, you know, you said that, not me. I, I, think, I think we're learning from these things. And each one of these platforms is a little different. Like Privacy Sandbox on Chrome is not the same as Privacy Sandbox on Android. Like there are other concerns there, but the intention is similar. And the objective is do not track the user, like while still providing relevant, measurable advertising that performs well. Got it. Privacy sandbox for Chrome versus privacy sandbox for Android. Like obviously one, we're talking about web. The other, we're talking about a mobile app environment, third-party cookie, you know, mobile ad IDs. That's right. So what's the primary distinction um, between for Chrome and for Android in terms of the privacy sandboxes? The kinds of things that people, some of it's like very familiar, right? Like you make an analogy, well, you know, the trail of a user might be from app to app to app, which is a little bit like, what is it from site to site to site? Can that be used to determine a user's interest? But when you're looking at mobile, like a big part of that is app installs. App installs are done based on what apps a user has. And that too is a similar sort of tracking concern, right? So how do you deliver, you know, app ads that are driving people to install an app under such an environment? Like you need a certain amount of signal to do that. And that problem is being solved with Privacy Sandbox on Android. Has no direct analog on Chrome, if that makes sense. And it seems like the the needle you all are trying to thread with both of the Privacy Sandboxes is how to be more privacy safe than practices are under the third-party cookie, but then still to allow the level of targeting that advertisers as well as you know, publishers, app publishers have kind of come to rely on at this point. And it feels really tricky. And the more I talk to people about it, it feels like as much as I love nuance, it almost becomes kind of a binary thing where some people are, are at the point where they're the sentiment seems to be, let's just, you know, get rid of targeted altogether and just go full contextual. Because, I mean, there was with, you know, Flock, the idea was this was going to be a privacy safe way to target ads, but not to do so at an invasive individual level. But then a lot of research was done where people basically reverse engineered Flock to show, oh, actually you can get pretty you know, targeted and start to identify people using Flock. Obviously that let, I think that contributed to Flock going away. You all came back with topics. To what extent with topics have you pressure tested it to ensure that topics can't be reverse engineered in order to identify individuals? A lot of work has gone into that, but I will say that, you know, Flock itself, there were a number of different concerns that surfaced, right? And um, some of them were really outside that domain completely. Like, for example, um, we believe firmly, and we're not the only party that places value on this, users need to understand why are they getting certain ads? They need to be able to control them in some way, shape, or form, right? And we recently announced something in that domain that we could talk about, by the way, it's a separate topic. But Flock would place users into a cohort of users that happened to have similar interests. But the browser was unable to determine, given the methodology that was used, um, and 
you know, the, there were a lot of good privacy attributes to Flock, but the browser didn't know what are your interests. So it, you couldn't go into the browser under that method. A user couldn't go in and say, why did I get this ad? And what are the interests that you think I have? And based on what? Interest based on went to this side, this side, this side. You, Flock didn't provide for that. Topics is a lot better for those things because topics within the browser, the browser itself knows what the topics that are being inferred based on your browsing history. And that can be displayed to the user. The user can be given controls over them and all that good stuff. Like that's a major step forward right there. So yes, there are, you know, um, Flockhead ways of kind of attacking it. Um, I will say none of these things, like you got to keep in mind that because of what I was talking about earlier, there are ways to fingerprint users using a web browser, using a mobile platform that are outside the domain of what's considered legitimate. Um, this can be done on the Apple platforms, despite everything that they've done and everything that they say. In fact, when you try to close up the, the, you know, the techniques that are obvious, what you end up doing is you push people into this kind of gray zone where they're doing things that are, well, how, what are you doing? And can I reset that? It's opaque, right? Um, so when you talk about could flock be worked around, could topics be worked around, always keep in mind that there are all of these other things that you can do to go outside and say, well, I am going to track a user through this technique that no one likes, and I'm not going to tell you about it, right? The whole point of topics and of the privacy sandbox in general is to make it so you just don't need to do that stuff. Like, you know, the idea, like our kind of central idea here is you've got on one side of the spectrum, people who are like um, pro-privacy, you know, personalized advertising is terrible no matter how you do it. At a very extreme continuum, advertising is terrible. Well, okay. Um, we certainly don't see it that way. And by the way, users don't necessarily see it that way either. At the other end of the spectrum, there's kind of like, I don't care about user privacy. I got my quarterly numbers to hit, right? Our approach to this, which I believe is unique, is that we believe these things can coexist and we believe that technology can be brought to bear to realize this in a way that is good for users and respectful of their interests and concerns and works for publishers, advertisers, marketers, and the like. Which is noble, but also feels like insanely difficult because it feels like anything that could potentially allow for any bad actor to exploit it, like will in invariably like lead to some bad actor, like trying to exploit it and then others catching wind of that. So how do you, I mean, I don't know that you could ever have like a hundred percent confidence that you've closed any potential loopholes for something like topics or fledge to be not abused in a way that then is able to identify people. But I mean, is, is this just a whack-a-mole thing? I would say, like, all right, there is a whack-a-mole thing that when it comes to, like, browser fingerprinting, but more to the point, like, you should think about this as a process, right? Like, it's not like this stuff gets shipped on whatever date it gets shipped, and it's perfect, and you can't attack it from any front. The point is that over a period of time, trackability gets harder and harder and harder. And more to the point, like, not just that it's getting harder, it's just, it's unnecessary, Right. Like if the underlying tech is sufficiently effective and, you know, the delta between what you get out of this tech is you know, de minimis relative to per user targeting, that's a win. That's where we want to get. It's more like it's carrot. It's not stick. 
We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. While we're getting into the nuances of things, there, there's you know one nuance um, that I want you to help me to understand. So last year you wrote a blog post that got a lot of it, a lot of attention. As someone who's written a lot of blog posts knows that one got a good amount of attention. Where you stated that Google will not build alternative identifiers to track people across the web or use them in Google's own products. Um, but then Google's products will be supporting these types of alternate identifiers through like encrypted signals for publishers where publishers will be able to pass UID 2.0 IDs through Google Ad Manager. So can you help me to reconcile these two seemingly opposing stances? Right. So you got it exactly right. The blog post was all about, we are not going to embrace alternative identifiers. We're not going to create these cross-site profiles. We are not going to act on identifiers that are passed into us. That being said, um, users of Google Ad Manager, these, you know, these companies, are they use this as effectively a platform. And uh, should they choose to go ahead and pass this encrypted signal out to buyers, uh, the, the platform does afford that capability. It's not something we can act on it gets passed through in an almost like a pipe sort of manner. And it does not, the, the fundamental commitment where we are not building these profiles, we are not acting on this, you know, effectively cross-site data, cross-site identifiers. That's the core of this, right? It's about what we're doing. And again, all of this, you know, to, you know, as you see the privacy sandbox becoming more real and the performance getting better. What we would expect to see over time is that the need to do these sorts of things is just lessened. People get more confidence, like, okay, this is working pretty well for me. But there is a transition here, and you know, publishers need to do certain things, and they're not, you know, this is a deliberate decision to enable them to make use of the data that they have in the way that they've got it. Okay. So is that kind of like, well, I don't want my, you know, I want my kids to eat healthy, so I'm not going to buy, you know, any junk food anymore. We're going to have, you know, all, you know, vegetables and I'm going to cook them up nicely so my kids eventually love them. But if their friends bring in, you know, candy bars into the house, I'm not going to say my kids and their friends can't eat the candy bars. I'm just going to hope that eventually these pieces of broccoli that I'm seasoning taste better than the candy bar in their mouths. Yeah, you know, that sounds like a losing battle there. I think we've got yeah. a better, I think we've got more of a fighting chance than that one. But yeah, that's the, the right, you're talking about a carrot sort of approach I and mean, a carrot as vegetable or not, but that's what you're talking about, not the stick approach. And that, you know, we think that, um, look, we are a publisher and, you know, we understand like publishers mentality. We're not just an ad tech provider. Um, and we think this is an important tool for publishers. Got it. With topics, I mean, topics is... Is very broad in terms of its, you know, categories. Uh, Ronan Shields, our senior ad tech reporter, did a great explainer on topics earlier this year. Um, and like some of the feedback from both publishers and buyers is, oh God, these, you know, this type of targeting is so broad. How can this be valuable in any respect? Have you all started testing topics and, and gleaned like what the performance or the effect is? That's coming up soon. Um, you're going to see that emerging over the next handful of months. And, you know, one thing to keep in mind with regard to topics is that there are other things that can be brought to bear there, right? You have contextual and you have the topics. And when you look at a particular experiment, the details of it matter, right? Like topics are not, I would not expect these to be used in isolation. Um, so it's one of several tools you bring to the, to the party. 
Got it. And then there's Fledge, which is basically like conducting the auction inside of the browser and having you know the decisioning handled by the browser as opposed to throwing it off to some outside ad server. Um, but I know that like a concern, I think it was actually Seb and Seb Joseph, our senior news editor, and Ronan may have reported on this, but that um, Google will main control over the auction and ad tech execs have said they would like there would like to be some independent arbiter instead. What's the status there? The, there's some of course there's nuance to this. There's nuance to every last one of these things. It's not that the auction as a whole is being conducted inside the browser. It's almost like the last mile or the last inch or the last millimeter of it is. Um, you know, are you taking a is it a contextual bid or is it a you know remarketing bid? Okay. Um, but other than that, you know, ad tech is doing quite a bit of work to get to that point. So it's hybridized, but the design in order to realize the privacy goals looks like this. I will say something else. When you say Google is doing XYZ, the browser is under the control of the user, not under the control of Google. In other words, there's data in your browser that no one works at Google can see. You're running it on your computer, right? So there's a distinction between like, what do we have on our servers? And in the end, we're another ad tech company from that point of view versus what's going on in the browser. And that is not visible to us. Okay. But I mean, because I think the, the parallel that Seb and Ronan drew um, in the piece is to like header bidding and how that's handled by Google Ad Manager. And, and basically, like, I think the idea is that last oh, millimeter. Google Ad Manager. Okay. Well, um, well, that's the the parallel. And like going back to, you know, the distinction you're making of, well, this is just, you know, kind of the last millimeter that's handled in the browser of, okay, maybe that's just a, you know, small piece to the chain. But if it's the final chain, then it's kind of the ultimate decider, the ultimate arbiter. And, you know, at least between, you know, and, you know, you'd have, there are probably other people we could pull in who could talk about this in more depth, um, at least between those two bits. But the point that I'm making is the browser is not really under Google's operational control. Anybody can look at the source code. The code that determines what the browser is doing in that last mile, that last inch is open source, can be inspected. It's not opaque, right? So um, I think that ought to give people a certain amount of confidence on it. That's my opinion. Okay, so if, in other words, if Google were doing anything where the browser would be favoring Google that would be that would show up in the code then absolutely no the, it's not it's that's off the table the browser is neutral um it's you know it's it's to browse the entire web and to serve anybody who wants to serve content serve ads into it it's got neutral it. yeah got it and with fledge i believe you all have started the origin trials for fledge how have those been going Right. I don't have any data to report on this. So we can come back to you when, you know, when we're farther along there, but we will be, you know, reporting that out over time and working with people to so they can do their own testing. Got it. Um you alluded, you know, earlier um and part of your title is user trust um that you all, you know, recently rolled out some new controls or well not you haven't rolled them out yet. You're developing them. They will be rolling out, I believe, later this year, um, the My Ad Center, where people can report an ad, identify who paid for it, and understand why they were served a specific ad. I was a little, I was curious, you know, when I read about this, because Google already has a lot of that in place and has 
for years at this point. So what's different about my ad center? Google has definitely been pushing this agenda for a while, and it is important, and users value it. Okay, But if you look at what we have right now, um, it does a lot that's useful, but it's bare bones, and it's not the kind of thing that users feel comfortable engaging with. Right? There's, we can make further progress on this. You look at what my ad center is trying to do. It's First of all, it applies to Google's own properties, right? so search, YouTube, and the Discover feed. And it's attached to your Google account. And when you go in there, you are, first of all, every, every ad on any of those properties will have a uniform entry point that will allow you to see attributes about this ad and tell you, you, you can go in and say, more of this, less of that. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. You have the ability for the first time, this is a subtle distinction, but this is what users care about. Users care, first of all, a great deal about control. Like the fact there's, there's, an, there's a phenomena right now where you look at how people view personalized online services. They love personalized movie recommendations and they love personalized news recommendations and they love personalized purchase recommendations. Like it's all valuable to the user because they allow the user to discover things that might be useful or interesting to them that they wouldn't otherwise see. Well, what does that sound like? Personalized ads. Like personalized ads is yet another one of these services, right? And yet users feel like, they're out of control because they don't understand what's influencing them. They don't know how to control it themselves. It's kind of a little mystery meat. And we want to make people feel more like, hey, personalized ads are on your side. They're under your control and they have value for you. That's what this is generally about. And we want to give users a lot of granular control, not only over what ads they see and not only over the information about the ads, but also what specific data is being used to personalize your ads? Users have, um, you know, a couple of different ways of thinking about this. As it turns out, the way people think about content personalization, at least in the current world, is pretty different from ads personalization. You ask someone, for example, well, your YouTube history, would you expect that to, or do you want that to give you personalized YouTube recommendations? The answer is yes, I expect it and I want it, by and large. I mean, you're going to get people who disagree with that, of course big world, different views. Um, but people think about it differently. They want to know like, well, yeah, you know, you've got that data and it's, it's you know, obviously providing me value within the consumer app, but I want control over what aspects of those data are used for monetization. And I want to know what I get out of that. And so this product goes a lot farther in that dimension. Select which data is being used to personalize your ads. It's one thing. And the other thing is in terms of being able to say, not only do I want, you know, in the current product, what you see is there's a set of effectively targeting categories that you've been inferred to belong to. And you can go in and say like, okay, but you know how targeting works. It's not really giving the user control over the ads that they see. It's indirect and it may not work all that well. What we've done in my ad center is users now have control over the content of the ads that they see which is separate from the targeting category. It's kind of an incremental boost or reduce, like this a little more weight or a little less weight. We've also given users you know, direct control over, I wanna see more of this brand or less of that brand, completely new. And then there's the, well, there's a whole set of sensitive categories and we wanna make it possible for users to say, limit this, limit this, limit this. I don't want alcohol ads, I don't want gambling ads, that kind of thing. So. The uniformity of it, 
the really clear, you know, consumer-oriented design of the product, this is not like just the facts, ma'am, interface. It's super clear, easy to navigate, comprehensible. And the fact that we've given user control, not only over what ads they see by way of more of this topic, less of this topic, more of this brand, less of this brand, but also what giving them control over what data is being used to personalize their ads in the first place and explaining what the benefit of each little piece of data is. And with that, I'll admit I'm a, a generally pretty cynical person. Like I know anytime my you know bank or credit card company asks like, hey, can you update your salary information or is you know this still correct? I'm just like, well, what's what's the benefit to me of updating my salary information? Or like how could this possibly be used against me? And so I kind of you know take a similar mind when like you know, Meta, for example, they have, you know, these kinds of tools in place where I can go in and be updating the information that, you know, Meta has on me. Uh, you know, Google, I can do the same. I looked at my Google ads um, categories this morning and, and some of them I was just like, well, that's not correct. Um, but then I thought, well, I don't know that I want to correct that because I don't know as much as that will lead to more targeted ads and maybe that'll be good for me. I don't know if there would be any knock on effects or if I'm you know providing other data that would that I don't know how it could be used. And I think that feels like the core challenge right now for the ad, the digital advertising industry when it comes to people's trust is it's not so much data being used for targeted advertising. I think that's generally pretty benign. There are obviously cases in which that's not benign and can be very discriminatory, for example. Um, but I think it's it's more the concern of, well, what else can this data be used for? Or, I mean, you know, going back to, you know, privacy sandbox and kind of um, the publisher perspective, like one of the concerns publishers have is, well, if we provide, I think it's the uh, PPIDs, the publisher provided IDs through Google. Well, if we're, we're sending our first party, or we're sending our IDs through that, is that something? what control do we have over who gets access to that? Are we having to open that, that up to anyone who has a seat on display in video 360, any advertiser using the platform? It's, it's a similar criticism complaint that publishers have had about UID 2.0. If we open that up to, you know, on media math, we're supporting UID 2.0. We have to support it for every advertiser. We don't necessarily want every advertiser to be able to like to be sharing data with them through UID 2.0. And so it's, it's a big question to get at at the the end of this. Um, but how how is that coloring like the work that you all are doing around privacy sandbox going forward? Just that concern that people, even if they do have some control, of, like whether it's users having control over the data or publishers having control over their data, that feeling that there's just never enough control. Okay, let's focus on the user for a minute because ultimately that's where this all nets out, right? And, you know, when you talk about the example that you're just mentioning, like your income, and there are people who, you know, that first of all, they're like, well, wh wh how could this possibly help in the ads that I receive? That's one thing. Then there are other people who are on principle, I just don't want that used. Uh, and other people are like, yeah, you know, I, I get it. Um, and let me validate it. So one thing that we've done with, my ad center is, first of all, you would be able to go in and say, for my income level, it could tell you, well, you pop up a little screen and it'll say, 
we believe your income level is this. Um, and you can choose to say, don't use it at all as a factor in my ad targeting. Or you can say, well, if you got it wrong, I'm going to go correct it. Right? So we're giving user like a lot of choice in there and we're telling them, how might this help them? Right? So that's a lot of control. Now you do, the tension here is, you know, we don't like giving users sort of like a wall of text. Like the art here is to find out what do users really care about? How do you present it to them in a way that is understandable, compelling, friendly, and not overwhelming? Like this shouldn't be like, well, let me go read, you know, 10 documents with like, you know, legalese on it. It's nothing like that. So the point is like, give people a lot of control. Don't do it in a way that's overwhelming or that makes the whole thing seem onerous. And that's what we've done with my ad center. So that particular example is a good example of something we've done there. Got it. Okay. And then on the PPID you know, point, I think like specifically the, the publisher's um, complaint with PPID is that they just can't control which of Google's ad tech products are able to access their PPIDs when they're being used. Why not give publishers that level of control? Right. So that's a, you know, I'd probably want to come back with a more detailed answer to that question. But remember that the world that we live in right now uh, with third-party cookies is you live in a universe where whatever goes on on site X is in fact being used across other sites, right? Like that's the, that's the state of the state. The general picture, putting aside any particular technology or feature, is that you're going to get a whole lot more siloing on a per site basis. And the, you know, the uh, data that goes between these sites, you're not going to see individual data going between these sites harnessed that way. Could aggregate data be used? Yes. But that's a big advancement in privacy terms over what we've got right now. And even in terms of the objection that you're mentioning, it's an, it's an advancement. Got it. So I think generally this conversation keeps coming back to just keep making progress and eventually. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, like what, right. Like the, uh, the perfect is the enemy of the good. Um, no software is perfect on 1.0 and you hit the 1.0 and you hit the 2.0 and you hit the 3.0. It's finally, it's awesome. Um, and it's not just the software, it's the entire industry's practices, their mental models. So there's a lot that goes on here that has to transition. Yeah. And I imagine like the complaints, the fact that there are so many people staying on top of this, paying attention to this, voicing their complaints is helpful for keeping everyone honest. And actually, like, lastly, we'll wrap with this. So the the CMA in, in the UK, the you know, regulatory body over there, has taken an oversight position with Privacy Sandbox, and they you know published comments towards the end of last year and then again in February in terms of like how they feel like that progress is going with Privacy Sandbox. What is the the flow of communication between Google and the CMA and the involvement of the CA, CMA specifically in Privacy Sandbox, especially now that, you know, it's kind of, it's not the last year and a half of development of Privacy Sandbox that's going to be ongoing, but up until that, you know, that current um, third-party cookie removal deadline in Chrome that we started this conversation talking about. Right. There are a few different things there. One is that we've made a commitment to supply testing results. Uh, and methodologies. Another is that we've made a commitment to, effectively, we've previously announced this, but the use of, you know, Google individual data, like, that's not something that we're harnessing, you know, across the web, right? 
Um, there is also, there are comment periods, and there is someone who represents the CMA as a trustee to kind of validate that Google is doing what it claims to be doing. So that, that's, you know, that's the essence of the commitments. There's more to it than that, but that's the essence. Got it. Like a CMA compliance officer, basically. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. It, it's someone who's trying to validate, like, are we, you know, living up to our commitments? Right. Which, and we yeah. welcome that. You know, we're living up to our commitments. Yeah. And I'm sure there are plenty of people who would volunteer for that. Well, David, I know you are busy, so really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thanks for the conversation. Thank you, Tim. Enjoyed it. And thank you for listening to the Digiday podcast. Please don't forget to share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. You can even rate us on Apple Podcasts if you like. And we'll be back next week with another episode.